This Week on Audio Nashville. It doesn't matter whether you know the artist or not. It's a great song. It's got legs and it'll hold the artist up. That's what you're looking for. It's something that will um, stand out of the crowd and, and get noticed. Audio Nashville talks to High Horse Records CEO, hit songwriter, and artist Wyatt Easterling. I'm your host, Marie McDonald. Wyatt Easterling's career has been witnessed to nearly every part of the music business. He has served as chief A&R for Atlantic Records and has signed artists such as John Michael Montgomery, Neil McCoy, and Tracy Lawrence. As a producer, he produced the multi-platinum album Life's a Dance, the debut album for John Michael Montgomery. As a songwriter, he has penned songs for Dirk Bentley, Joe Diffie, Neil McCoy, and many more. Wyatt Easterling is now the CEO of High Horse Records. In part one of this two-part series, Audio Nashville's Dave McDonald sits down with Wyatt at his office on Nashville's Music Row. When I came to Nashville in 81, this, this town was the place to come to for the kind of uh, country rock um, pop. Uh, and what we consider country today, back then it was... Uh, Jackson Brown, James Taylor, uh, Jim Croce, um, Carol King, mm. um, that that level of artistry, and I loved that um, introspective type of lyric. And when I came to Nashville, I, I learned it, it was a difficult uh, uh, lesson for me, but I learned to become less esoteric and more uh, straight to the point, and, and not. There's so many rules in writing in country music. Right. So many rules. And right now, I found uh, a, a passion for writing more folk-oriented because I can go out and do that sort of thing. And even the songs that I do get recorded in this town, um, there is a bit of a folk bent to them. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, it's, I can only write what I love to write because I get bored to death. If I, if I get into the middle of a song... And starts becoming too rote. Um, mm-hmm. I, I either don't finish it, or I, I never listen to it again. Um, uh, I, I think that right now the internet has has uh, presented such a golden opportunity for all of us, n- not for the major labels, uh, uh, but that's the bed they made. Do you think they got in a little late to the? I, you know, I think I have theories about that. I used to be at a major label, and I, I, I have nothing against them. Um, you know, I think we all have something against their accounting policies, but uh, you know, if, you, if you're fortunate enough to ever make money at something, they have many ways of, of uh, spending it before it gets down to you right. <laughs> so, and justifying it. But having been at a major label and some independents, worked, um, uh, I worked, I was head of a for Atlantic Records, um, and when I was there, uh, the system was working great. Uh, it was a, a, a system where, you know, actually, that's about the time that Nashville started getting it down to a science, which was, to me, uh, the end of the authenticity of country music. We, we started uh, cloning the clones. Right. Um, I signed John Michael Montgomery at Atlantic and produced his first album, uh, Life's a Dance, and it wasn't long before other labels were looking for the same guy. Right, we we need one too. We've got to have one. Yeah. This is superstar. Let's find something like that because they, you know, and when you think about it, they're no different. They as in the the major labels, 
they are no different than um, TV shows. TV or better yet, <laughs> uh, a, a lumber company. They're out to sell right. wood. You know that's right. what they do. They're selling. They don't. They want to sell as much wood as they can to make their bosses happy. Right. And and it really is. Uh, uh, um, there's a lot of passion in the A&R side and the creative side and the radio guys love to push a record all the way up to the top and, and just to mention that's a job that those guys there's a special place in heaven for all those radio promoters because god what a thankless job but for a long time that model worked where you'd ship a song out to radio um, I think it was Joe Galante who started the radio tours um, I believe he really got the idea from uh, uh, Loretta Lynn, who used to go out and do it just on her own, right? <laughs> whether the radio, whether the record company liked it or not, and that's where they they put an artist in a bus and just send them across send the them country. Out radio tours, exactly, and they do the that still. Yeah, you know, and it's and a lot of this is is tired and old, so it's good to have this new technology come in. It's like when um, CDs came in to replace vinyl, we all bucked that. We didn't like the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to buy more equipment. Okay, so great. It's sonically, it's better, really? I don't know. I like the way vinyl sounds. But um, it was a lot easier to... to uh, there were so, kind of, so many different advantages to it. Digitally, you could you could do all kinds of storage with it. Um, it didn't uh, get scratched up like a, a vinyl record did. Right. Uh, or does still. Um, but there was and, some, it was, and you was could rack lot. it. It was better to easier to rack right. in a store. Right. Which, you know, when it all comes right down to it, it's about the money. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's what I've I've done some uh, seminars with um, uh, uh, Folk Alliance. Mm -hmm. And folk artists who are still purist at heart, they they want the song to, uh, they don't care if it meanders for five minutes if it gets across their message. And I love that. I hate being constrained by radio. Three minutes. Three minutes. I mean, I... When I was head of Atlantic, um, that um, uh, oh, what's Val's last name? I can't think of his last name now. But he was the, the um, president of the company at the time. He says, "Why do you try to find songs that work for radio?" And I said, "No, I find songs I think are hits." He says, "Good. You can't chase radio. If you chase radio, you will lose every time. Because as soon as you think you've got what they've got in mind, they're going to find something else." Yeah. And you know. Um, and that was a big lesson. You know, I thought, oh, good, I'm on the right track. And that's a good lesson for songwriters out there, that if they're listening to the radio today, mm-hmm. those those songs were written two or three, five, six years ago. Who knows how long ago, but they're yeah. they probably at least two years behind the curve if you're listening to today's radio. Absolutely. Now, yeah. um, I had a song that's not 20 years old uh, called Life's So Funny. And I believe that was, I think, the best song I'd written at the time. Um See if it's twenty years old. I wrote it in, in eighty six or seven, eighty seven, I think. So it's twenty one years old. Anyway, I've always believed in that song, and when I cut this song, this album with John Michael, I had "Life So Funny" on there. He had a great cut on it, um, and then uh, the guy who was producing the other sides. This is when we were everybody in town was splitting a production. Yeah. You know, let's put two producers like they do out in pop and get this big perspective and anything. So Doug Johnson, he came in and he found this song, "Life's a Dance," and um, up tempo, positive song. Of course, they went with it. Right. And I was, you know, as head of A and R, I was like, "Oh yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, this wins." Yeah. 
I still believed in the song. That's a hard call and, to make when it's your song. Isn't oh, it? yeah. But you know what? I, I always felt like, and I always have felt that um, I'm such an idealist, that the best song wins, the best artist is going to win, and honestly, life's just not like that. You know, and anything. There's there's so many great football players or baseball players out there that never got the break. Right. They just didn't get the break. And to spend some time in this town, and you'll oh, hear some great songs even at writers. Oh, nights, I know. Oh, absolutely. That you wonder why what happened? It got yeah. it got yeah. it got split up fifty different ways with yeah. publishers, and nobody's interested in plugging it because they've got such a small amount. And it's, you know, there are all kinds of little reasons why things don't happen. You just have to wade through it, kind of like a salmon going back to its nesting ground. You just got to get there. Persistence. Yeah. Persistence. Yeah. It's um, there's there is nothing that can replace that, and, and having a goal. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier what haven't I done in this town, and, and I laugh about it at times. I, I think, gosh, I'm a mm-hmm. jack of all trades and a master of none. I, I look <laughs> back now, and and it's really. Um, it's fortunate that things turned out the way they did in, in a lot of respects. Uh, I was at the time, um, I was approached to, to uh, run the A&R department for Atlantic. I had been, uh, I had been courted by CBS Records uh, to sign with them and as an artist. And uh, Sony came along and purchased them. And my deal was just, Obviously, with the huge acquisition like that, my deal was just it was unimportant. Mm-hmm. And the guy who was running the label at the time, Rick Blackburn, retired from CBS. He had a non-compete for two years, so uh, he he said, "Hey, well, come over here and let's write for my company. I'm, I'm going to start a publishing company." And that's how I ended up over at Atlantic. Um, I enjoy the business side as well, and the creative side has always fascinated me. I've loved. Um, all my life, from the time I was 15, working in the studio. Um, well, that's, that's so. one of the things that you know we, we try to talk about on this this show is um, there's there's a lot of paths to glory in the music business oh, uh, if you you know want to call it that. Um, there's you know a lot of people think you're going to get off the bus, you're going to go to the Bluebird, play the Bluebird, and somebody's going to hear you and you're going to you know and it doesn't really work that way, of course. Mm-hmm. And no. and they find out real quick that it doesn't. And you know you'll spend many years playing lots of writers' nights and anywhere oh, else yeah. that will have you. But you find I think that as your career shows that there's other ways to be involved in music. And if you really love music, you're going to want to be around it. And it sounds like to me you're somebody who's who's um, you know taken a lot of different paths but uh, you said jack of all trades master of none but yet you have succeeded I mean, oh well you, that's true you know it's not like you <laughs> uh, you've had uh, platinum records uh, that you produced and you've written you know songs and and you know so i mean but um but i think that people need to know about other ways you know other than the mainstream okay you know there, there's lots of people in this town that work in the music business they right. aren't songwriters oh, yeah. they aren't Craig Wiseman and, and, and Jeffrey Steele and all the big name brands right. that you've heard of you know so, well, I mean, so you exactly. know, there's, but so I think a lot of songwriters kind of come here starting off on one path and may end up in a different way so. Jeffrey Steele perfect example when I was at Atlantic Records there was a group called Boy Howdy mm-hmm. and um, I don't know I don't remember I think uh, Chris Farron who was in the band sent me the, I, the all I remember at this point I mean that was 15 years ago they were out in California and he sent me a package or something I listened to it I thought man this is cool stuff so I called Chris up and we talked some more and, and uh, um, about the time 
I could convince anyone else around me that we need to look hard at these guys. I think Curb snapped them up, but Jeffrey Steele was part of that band. Right. So he was originally in a band that got signed to Curb that um, they did their best. Boy, howdy. They had a few singles out. I don't know that uh, they ever made a bunch of noise. They weren't a bad band by any means. Um, And Jeffrey may have been writing those songs back then. They just weren't hitting with people. Right. But the band dissolves. Chris Farron starts producing. Jeffrey starts writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. And, And, you know, I started writing when I was 15 and and I still learn stuff. I learned this morning. Uh, I had to finish up a song. Uh, I call it Under Duress. My co-writers were saying Under Pressure because yeah. we were going in Monday to cut an album. But, I mean, we nailed it. We really yeah. did. I'm pleased that we got together the way we did this morning and uh, and really knocked it out because... Um, but it was this cumulative of all this talent, these people that have... Um, together we've got who knows how many years 60 years of writing experience and uh, between the three of us this morning um, but yeah I, it's interesting because these ladies that I was working with this morning they're all from Colorado they've moved here they all have um, very uh, I wouldn't say overly lucrative but very stable music careers they're making a living they're making a great living out there they go out because outside of Nashville there's all kinds of places to play you can play in clubs go into some place and make 300 bucks a night selling CDs and door and and, uh, do that two or three times a week and that's not bad that's living Um, you know that's getting by and then uh, um some some of these other people out there that I'm working with now I mean they, they fill up these eight thousand seat uh, uh, theaters now that's not shabby yeah. when you don't have any label expenses or band expenses it's just a couple of people in a guitar are they on the college circuit or yeah. doing colleges yeah. uh, and, and but again outside of Nashville there are a number of places to play like that and that's what was confusing me when I first moved to town I thought well I'm gonna get to town I did find a, a music gig I played at this this cocktail kind of thing yeah. <laughs> on second yeah. avenue this is 86 or 7. Um, and people would come in. I had fans that came in. Uh, Winona Judd used to come in, sit in a corner, kind of off the dark corner and with her boyfriend and, and listen. And and um, Norbert Putnam and Buffett used to come in quite a bit. And it, it was cool, but I, I saw a, a, a writer that's a good friend of mine, um, Pat Alters, is walking by one day, and I'm up there playing. He walks by, and he looks at me and says, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm making a living, man. And... Uh, and that for him too. This was right before Garth yet. Yeah. And uh, boy, whew, there's one. Pat's a great writer. He's a great writer. Yeah. He is a great writer. Yeah. Um, but there are all kinds of paths. I mean, I, and you know the thing is, it's like a lot of things. Um, when you're a songwriter, you're an entrepreneur, and you got to figure out your path. It's not like going to le- uh, to law school or medical school where you get out of medical school, you go and you do your residency somewhere. And then you move on into a practice or a teaching right. facility, that sort of thing. Um, you've just got to figure out a way. I remember when I first came into this town, Music Row was Music Row. Everything was on Music Row. All the record companies, the promotion companies, the uh, management companies, publishing houses. They were all sandwiched up here on 16th and 17th Avenue, and some over there on 18th, and then it expanded out to 19th. Um 
people were walking up and down the row all the time, knocking on doors. And it was a great time then because you could knock on a door, and if you had a good song, somebody would listen. Yeah. Um, I could go in and, and uh, knock on uh, somebody's door, like, say, James Stroud or, or Barry Beckett. And any of these guys say, hey, I've got a great song. you got to hear it. Right. We can't do that anymore. There's such a shutdown community at this point. What about the legal aspect of that now? Is that part of it? It is part of it. It is part of it. When, when um, uh, part of my background is, is API, Affiliated Publishers, Inc., and we've had huge success with this company. It's a, I say we, it was really uh, Johnny Slate and Janet Slate and Stacy Slate. Um, they had uh, Joe Diffie, and they started uh, Tim McGraw's career and Ty Herndon and Sons of the Desert. But with that company, we were faced with the same thing. How do we get past the big, big publishing houses to um, the record labels and make it happen? Well, we decided, or I should say Johnny decided, um, let's bring it all in-house where we've got management, we've got production, and we've got uh, um, oh, publishing. So you've got, they had, at that time, they had 20 songwriters. They had Kim Williams, they had Kirker Phillips, they had uh, um, Andy Spooner, on and on and on, uh, Danny Morrison. These great writers, and these guys have all become, uh, some of them, not all of them, but some of them have become um, superstar writers. Kirker Phillips, right. um, Pickup Man, um, gosh, uh, so I mean, girl. I mean, he's just on and on with, with uh, down on the farm for Tim McGraw, yeah. uh, and having Tim right here in the office building, it was easy because you could say, "Hey, Tim, come check out this song." One day, Steve Dukes and and uh, Jeb Stewart and uh, Rick Hall's son, um, Mark Mark Hall, walk in, and, and at the time, Stacy was was running the publishing company. Um, <laughs> they sit down and they start playing. I like it. I love it. And that was huge, yeah. huge. Tim comes in, and Stacy goes, says, "Hey, I think I got one for you." <laughs> it was huge. Um, that was a fun time because you could get to the artist, and we can get to the artist with a great song. They're, great songs are hard to find. They're hard to write. They really are. And, and um, do you think though, that we need gatekeepers? I mean, obviously. I mean. I mean, well, you know, back to the legal question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, during that era, there was a song called Prop Me Up Beside the Jukebox. Carrie Kurt Phillips and I don't recall the other writers. Um, but it was written in API's writer's room. I remember hearing it while they were working on it. Um, my office was downstairs at the time. And uh, um, it was a time when country was so hot. So many things were going on. Garth was exploding. Uh, um, Joe Diffie was was having a big career. He was selling platinum, right. um, and these guys they cut their teeth on his style. They learned to write his style. They learned to help him create his style. Because yeah. um, Kerry Kurt had a lot of Joe Diffie records, um, but at any rate, so this 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 guy, some guy named I think his name was James Grant, some attorney. Uh, he got ro- he got ridden out of town on a rail. Because um, he did a number of, of uh, frivolous lawsuits and cost a lot of money for some folks. But what happened was this guy, they get hold of a fella who had no luck but had been around this company quite a bit. 
and coerced him into saying that he had written this song. And um, unfortunately for this attorney, unfortunate for us, yeah. Kerry Kurt Phillips is a meticulous, uh, very organized songwriter. He has everything documented. Um, when he wrote it, who he wrote it with, date of creation, when they worked on it some more. And it's just his, his, his habit. He's just a very organized guy. So when it came to court, the day of court, Kerry stood up in front of the judge. His, I think I may have been federal court. Um, but at any rate, he stood up there and said, well, Your Honor, this is what we did. This is how we wrote it. This guy was nowhere around. I wrote it with these gentlemen over here. This guy, Rick something or other, I can't remember his name, brought the idea in. Um, and we wrote it that day. And this is how we did it. And 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 fortunately for API, but we won the lawsuit, but it still cost the company two hundred and fifty thousand. Of course, yeah. I mean, that's so the, that's the I mean, downside. we we won the we won the war uh, and lost a lot of battles. <laughs> so a lot of yeah, yeah. But at the time, API was doing so well and so much. And Johnny said, you know, I'm gonna nip this in the butt right now. I'm, it may cost us some money. But we're not going to start seeing this happen in this town, left and right, because we'll it'll kill us. Yeah. So he took the bullet. And I've seen, you know, I've heard um, many, you know, publishers and writers and such say that um, that they're really afraid. I mean, they've always been kind of wary of unsolicited material. But I mean, that's why maybe going back to your knocking on the doors that that they're afraid to take it because if. I wrote a song called I Love You, and, and oh, it's on the yeah. radio, it's called I Love You, that right. they're going to want to sue you. And, right. and like you said, it costs a lot of money, even if you win. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and that, you know, I look now and think, golly, 250 grand. Whew. I'd like to have that back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, that guy literally, he just, he did another um, lawsuit with uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. And they got, his chops got busted. And he left town. Some guy came in, some slick attorney, thought he would make uh, a killing. Yeah. You know, just suing. Suing the hayseeds. Suing the hayseeds. <laughs> exactly. Suing the hayseeds. And you know what? That, that's one of the things I always loved about Nashville, especially um, when we get these calls. In. When we started turning out a lot of uh, product, um, again, money rules the world. And when we started having numbers like pop, we started having a lot of interest from Los Angeles and New York, but more so from Los Angeles, these guys. What's going on over there? What's going on? Let's go check this out. They're making a lot of money. And you know, the, the dollar bill in Nashville is the same dollar bill here in Hollywood. Right. And they'd call up and come in and meet with us three or four times. And we'd sit down and chat with them for a little bit. And Well, yeah, it's nice to meet you. Well, next time you're in town, yeah, give us a shout. And, just good old Southern hospitality. And they'd walk out of here, I'm telling you. I've heard more than one guy uh, reminisce about this. Man, I got those guys. They just, I had them in the palm of my hand. I'm going to come <laughs> back and we're going to be partners in some capacity. I'll end up owning that place. You watch. They'd come back in yeah. <laughs> a couple months later. Well, yeah, come on in. That's good to see you. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, okay, well, yeah, we'll talk about that some more and send them on their way. Yeah. I had no intention of getting into bed with those guys, yeah. ever. Why would I? You know? And it was insulting to me. I thought, you know, I was educated at the University of North Carolina. That's pretty good school. I'm not a dummy. Here. Yeah, yeah. But well, what about writers outside of Nashville? There was a time when people like Diane Warren, mm-hmm. you know, writing songs on, uh, what was it, Faith Hill's 
record. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else, but it was like over half of the songs were out of L.A. or New York. Nashville's always been kind of a closed community that they're not real ex- accepting of people um, from outside of Nashville. As far as as far as music, like um, Shania Twain, when she first came to town, or when she first hooked up with Mutt Lang, it seemed like there was a lot of resistance. But again, the dollar bill kind of right. wins well, people over at the end of the day, probably. But You know? She did. Um, she was. Uh, Shania was a um, groundbreaking artist. Yeah. She changed a lot of things, and and there's always resistance to that. Um, gosh, you know, I, I loved her videos. Yeah. I can't say. <laughs> and uh, and the records were so slick. Yeah. And, and but when I say so slick, I say that with reverence because they were meticulously done, and you can easily overproduce a record to yeah. where you take all the magic out, but. Uh, Mutt has this talent where he can go in and be perfect. I mean, the, 